Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Deep to right, it's hit pretty well, and the Twins take the lead. A two-run jolt for Kepler. Oh, that was a ridiculous bomb from Max Kepler yesterday. A ridiculous bomb, and uh, we are going to break down not only one Twins game, not two Twins games. We're going to break down three Twins games, like they are football games, all sort of compiled together. And the debut of our most important Vikings thing, now that they are practicing and random season recall here on this Monday, but a quick shout out to Federated Mutual Insurance Company. Federated has been helping business owners throughout this pandemic period. And if you want to find out more about the industries Federated protects, and if you want to find out about all the trusted resources that they offer up, federatedinsurance.com is the place to go. Uh, based in Owatonna, so the company is one of us, you could say, here in the state of Minnesota. And this is not the year to be uncertain or to feel like you don't have frontline protection from your insurance company. FederatedInsurance.com. And remember, at Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. But, you know, I was frustrated for like a split second, and I'm like, okay, let's just keep moving on. I think next at bat, I probably came back to him with the same pitch. So I'm going to keep challenging guys, and I'm not really going to be afraid of throwing any pitch in any count, really. Results are going to vary, obviously, and they got the best of those two, I guess. The stopper. The dabber. The, the dabber, the stopper. There's all kinds of nicknames we can give him. You know what's a shame? If this were if this were a normal year, right, with fans and promotions, the Dobber would be all the rage. Like oh, yeah. there, there would be mustache yeah. night, right? Like think about the opportunities to dress like the Dobber, look like the Dobber. Do you guys remember when they did the Joe Mauer sideburns? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's great! In like two thousand six or something. Sure that do. Awesome. They could do the same thing for the handlebar mustache, mm-hmm. or what? I guess you wouldn't call it a handlebar. Is it? A, it's a Fu Manchu. It's a Fu Man. Is it a Fu Man? I think it's a Fu Man. It's basically what Judd used to rock for Movember back in the day. Yeah, it's, 1500 a, ESPN. it's a great look. And you could show up to the ballpark with your stash, your Rex specs. Oh, like, like, think about the opportunities for promotion <laughs> on a look like in, Dauber night. An Uber sticker. Yeah. Uber sticker night. Be great. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's dive in. There's so many things to break down like it's football, football. here, which is what we've been doing. Throughout the entire month on this show here, we uh, because it's a 60-game abbreviated season, we break baseball games down like they are football games and go into every possible nuance. 
So since we're on the subject of, of the Dobber, Randy Dobnak, let's start there. And Judd's got his custom $30 scorebook out here. Dex had a nice scorebook, too, at the game on Sunday. I busted out my uh, broadcaster one from my St. Nice. Paul Saints days. Wow. It, I'd it like is, one of those, by the it way. It is incredible. You it guys is, both have is, the custom scorebooks. Yes. I like it. What, the, the, the paper sheets that they hand out at the they press box? They don't do it because of COVID. So That's so a little they, bit of a stretch. Oh, we get no print out there pieces are of paper? No paper. No paper. No press so box so paperless. So we don't want like Dustin Morris's COVID thumbprint on a piece of paper and then Judd puts his thumb in the same spot. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So Randy Dobnak is now four and one on the season, a major league lead or tying lead uh of, of four wins. And he has a one point four two ERA, so his ERA actually went way up with that outing yesterday, even though he was pretty damn good. And in 53 and two-thirds innings in the major leagues since last year, he now has a 1.51 ERA. So here's my biggest question here to you to start this off. <laughs> what is the biggest difference to you between Randy Dobnak and Jose Barrios? Oh, this one is the simplest, the simplest one possible. Uh, well, it's two things, but they're both just evident as can be. One is stuff, advantage Barrios on stuff. But two is more important, and that's what goes on between the years of these two men. Um, Dobnik gives up home runs, and you know what? So be it. But you know what they are? Solo. They're Blylevin specials, right? So, okay, I give up home runs. I don't care. Barrios throws ball one, and the world's collapsing. And he goes sideways, and Wes Johnson comes out, you know, twice in what? In the time that Brios pitched in game two on Saturday to try and calm the young man down. And uh, trip two is followed by a Merrifield uh, shot to left, I believe, for a home run. So I think in breaking these two down, it's very simple it's mental makeup. And Dobnik um, can take it and. Acts like he's been there, and yeah, things can go wrong, but I'll keep coming back at you until my time is done. And um, as far as Brios goes, he looks mentally completely messed up to the point of if you started the playoff series three game today, first round, Phil Mackey, I think the Twins might start him in a game. Personally, I would not at this point in time. He is that messed up. It is really... If it's not concerning, it's alarming. Okay, if nothing well, else. Okay, what is? Let's let's go down that path then. What is? Because Declan posed that in our email thread last night too. What's your playoff rotation? Well, Rich Hill's coming back on like Wednesday this week. Yeah, let's say he's like. going to be healthy. Okay, and Jake Odorizzi has has not like fully locked in yet, but he's alive and and he's healthy. So, yep. and and I don't know. Do we include Pineda because he's going to come back at some point? Well, let's not. Okay, what's your playoff rotation including Rich Hill? My eight game one right now. I would go if. Rich Hill uh, can pitch, which I'm going to assume that he's actually being saved in part so he can pitch. Uh, in game two, Dobnik game three. And and to be honest with you, if Pineda comes back and pitches well and I and Hill can't pitch or, or Dobnik starts to struggle, I probably consider Pineda before Barrios. Barrios is a mental mess right now. I can't do that. I, I can't do that in, in a series where really every game is probably going to be absolutely paramount to try and win. I go, I think I do the same thing. I think I go Maeda into Rich Hill into Dobnak. And I, I it's going to be hard to not include Oda Rizzi at oh, yeah. some point okay, in that's here. Fair. Good point. But Good point. I don't know if it's a three-game series to start the playoffs. Maybe what you do is 
You bring Rich Hill out of the bullpen or something? I'm starting Rich Hill if he can pitch because I love the makeup. But in but but like the debate isn't oh well okay Maeda Hill Dabber but where do you put Barrios? It's where do you put Odo and Barrios is not even in the discussion. I know. Like is he even? Okay. But I think that's in a I think that's the discussion. Series, he's not even in the discussion. But I think right that now. I think as we have this uh, discussion right now, I think that's the discussion. Dex, do you have any different thought on this, or are we all in agreement? Here? I, I actually said. And I, I did forget that obviously in the in the first playoff series it's a best of three. But if it was a, if it was a normal best of five, I still give Barrios the ball in game three. I think right now I would. I, I, I would go Maeda game one for sure. If the Twins win game one, I give it to Dobnak. I'm going to give it to Dobnak for game two, and then I probably would go Jose Barrios and like Rich Hill on a tandem for game three because Rich I, Hill can come out of the pen too. I think what bothers me about Barrios is, and I well let me let me state something. People are going to overreact to this. People, oh, yeah. like, like he's off to a terrible start, and he has a six ERA through the first five games, and like it's really bad. It's really bad. He's going to straighten it out at some point. He's going to give you a stretch of like four or five starts where he looks like the old Barrios. But I think what I, what most worries me about him is he's been a major league pitcher now for a large chunk of five seasons. He's he's no longer a twenty one year old bright eyed kid, but he pitches like it all the time, mm-hmm. even against the Royals and the Pirates. There's something that prevents him from just throwing a pitch over the plate. And I don't know if it's that he just can't locate his fastball. Like when that start on Saturday, he literally just could not tell you where his fastball was going. And if you if you're going to start 2 and 0 or 3 and 0 or if guys are just going to be able to pick one of your pitches and sit on it, you're going to get shelled. So why why does a guy who, when he's dialed in, have pinpoint control, why does he have a complete inability to locate a fastball through five games at age 26, 50 year in the major leagues? Because It's weird. Because I think he's thinking constantly. I think right now he is thinking to himself, don't screw up. He, he talked about postgame on Saturday. He brought up to the, the fact, and look, I know that he's been around for a while and that this should not be a big deal, but I can't help but come back to the fact that it might be, and that's a shame. Uh, they've been working or were previously working on moving his positioning on the rubber to the third base side, okay? And that type of adjustment to me with a guy like this probably gets him thinking. And I think the worst thing that Jose Barrios can do is sit there and thoughts start to go through his head. And and instead of just – if this kid would just say, you know what, believe it, I'm going to be stupid this game. I'm just going to be stupid, and I'm not going to think – I'm going to allow my stuff to carry me, right? Because there's probably not a pitcher on the twin staff that wouldn't absolutely kill to have Barrios' stuff. Like, like imagine if you had Randy Dodnack's demeanor and his ability yeah, to just be, sort of get over allowing two home runs yeah, quickly. Yeah, it'd be incredible. And the, but then you gave him, like, the car that Jose Barrios drives every single time he goes out. He'd be the best pitcher But it's in incredibly frustrating to, to watch Barrios because of that. Because you see that stuff and you think to yourself, this, this should be it. Mm-hmm. And... I think that there's a chance if they open the playoff series today, Rocco still might start him in a game. But I'm telling you right now, with the way he's going currently, one, that's a mistake. And two, I think if you continue to just go with, hey, he'll be fine, he'll be fine, at some point in time, the question becomes, okay, but why is it like this, right? The biggest problem, though, with the the reason why you would gravitate to Barrios whether it's in a playoff start or just like the rest of the season. It goes back to Dobnek not getting strikeouts and not missing bats. And the more the more you're allowing balls to be hit to fielders or the outfield or a chance to go over the fence, yep. the riskier it is. Sure. 
And the, and the two things to look at for Randy Dobnak are I'm going to get I'm going to get stat nerdy on you guys here. Number one is he leads the major leagues in ground ball percentage. Ground balls induced. If you take all the batted balls, two out of every three that he allows are ground balls, which is if if he if he stayed at that level throughout the rest of the season, it would it would flirt with like a modern major league record of inducing ground balls. Right. So either he is like the best pitcher in the league at inducing weak contact and ground balls, or he's just off to a great start and is getting a little lucky that bats aren't barreling up some of these pitches. All right, So that's thing number one to watch. The second thing to watch is when he does put a guy on base, his left on base percentage is 94%. So when he gets into any kind of trouble, he's pitching out of it, which is a huge, huge credit to him. But at some point, luck runs out. So the major league average left on base percentage is more like 70 to 75, and he's hovering at 94% right now, which means like there's going to be some regression. When a guy gets on second base and you induce a ground ball, that doesn't always go to the second baseman. It's going to go through for a hit, and that guy's going to score more often from this point forward through the rest of the season. So I'm just saying, like, I love Randy Dobnak. I'm with, I'm I, with you here. I would buy the handlebar mustache and the like, yeah. the Groucho Marx, Randy Dobnak disguise, but he is going well, to regress at some point, and it might be aggressive for a couple games. And keep in mind, too, um, you are getting and continue – to get a steady diet of the the Pirates and the Royals and teams that aren't great, and so the, the Tigers have yeah. come so, back to earth. So if <laughs> if you go into that playoffs and now it's like oh, okay, boys, here come take your pick. Good team though, right? The dynamic changes. I am just the Brios thing. I know why he's struggling. It's still frustrating as hell to watch, and and you can say all you want about well, just go out and sign an ace and. Those guys ordinarily, right, don't get traded and don't get signed. And if they do, they, they get huge contracts that are that have a term that quite often I think can be rightfully so considered ridiculous. And so, like, if you're going to develop this guy, it's probably going to be internal, which is absolutely fine. Um, but, like, you look at Barrios and say, he's got the makings. I mean, I still believe that. But the problem is the clock is really, really ticking now as far as, okay, but mentally can a guy who's 26 now uh, put the makings together with the mental makeup to make this work? And that's what's so frustrating about this whole thing to me. I think he's done you a favor as a front office. So there's been all this discussion about, you know, can you get him locked up to a long-term contract extension? Can you get him... You know, he, can, can you get him locked to an extension that eats up some of his free agent time, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe get him on a hometown discount of some kind. Well, at this point, so he has he has two years left of team control after 2020. He doesn't become a free agent until after the 2022 season. So he's arbitration this year, arbitration next year. And I'd have to go look. I think he makes like $5 million or something. Yeah, yeah he makes $4 million. And he, and he wants year. to be paid like yep. an ace. So he's probably going to make the way that arbitration works like – He's not he's not going to be up there on that Max Scherzer level of like evaluated, you know, at the top level. So he makes 4 million this year. It'll probably be like 7 or 8 million next year and then it'll be like I don't know, 12 million or something his last year. And if you're telling me you can pay him an average of like 10 million dollars the next couple of years just go year to year with him, I'm good with that. He's definitely worth that. Like he's not a number 1 starter, but he's definitely worth that. Um but I would just go year to year. I don't think it's even a decision right now. I don't think you have to engage in unless he wants to sign a really low ball deal right now. If he wants to make eight million a year for the <laughs> next five doing years, that, all right, baby. 
He so, wants his he wants his uh, cash right now. So I think it. you can go year to year with him next year and the year after, and then you can either match what the market wants to give him in 2023, or you can let him walk and sign for 15 or 20 million dollars with some other team. By then, you're going to have Yon Duran up. You're going to have uh, Jordan Bal- uh, Balazovic is going to be up, and yeah. one of those two guys is probably going to pan out, if not both. And then you can spend the extra money on some other free agent or clear that money out for a trade that absorbs a 15 or $20 million contract. Or maybe Barrios turns out to be a good pitcher after all, and you can you can pay him in a couple of years. But he has made the decision very easy from, from this the, point forward the rest of the year. Yeah, and the thing, too, is, okay, August had been traditionally tough, right? But there's no excuse this time. You're starting the season on July 24th. Um, if I told you guys, if we, if we stopped right now and I told you that the agents for uh, Buxton and Brios were outside my door and both were looking for very rich multi-year contracts and we had to give one of them that contract and there are concerns in different ways about both of these guys which one do you pay uh Buxton, Buxton. Not, it's not even close Buxton. It, it, because you could say well yeah but what about the injury concerns well Brios has them too he's a pitcher even though he hasn't been hurt yet to this point. That's spirit. more concerning, he, possibly. Like, like the one thing that has not happened yet with Barrios is he hasn't had his arm blow out or his elbow, you know. He hasn't had a strained flexor pronator tendon. So it's Buxton. It's a no-brainer. Yeah, I don't disagree. I'm just saying that a year ago at around this time or before August of 2019, I think we all probably would have said, well, Buxton can't stay healthy, blah, blah, blah. It's Barrios. Uh, but yeah, now, now with I really, really thought that that he would come back um, this year and starting in late July, be absolutely fine and be damn good. And um, e- even when his pitching line's not awful this year, there's been something to be concerned about, like that Pirates game. Like his pitching line was not that bad, right? But that Pirates game here, it's like, dude, it's the Pirates. There, yeah, there's yeah. a fighting chance I can get five of these guys out, Jose. He like, faces, you should blow them away. He faces, like, the bottom of the Royals lineup and the Pirates lineup, and he sees Aaron Judge yeah. every time up. Yeah, you're right. Dude, it is it is Francisco Liriano all over again in a lot of ways where you're just like, buddy, just. <laughs> I love that. Dude, Exasperation. You're you so right. throw so nasty. Um, two things quick. One, you mentioned Jose Brios in August. So his August numbers for his career, including the four what four or five starts he's made so far this August, I think it's four starts this August, he has a 5.88 earned run average in 24 August starts. It's the most starts he's made in any month because like now August is the first part of the season here for this season. And he has allowed, let's see here, what's 56 plus 138, carry the four or five, he has allowed 200 base runners in 124 innings in the month of August in his career. Yeah. He's it, just he's terrible in August. That's not good. Other thing for you guys, somebody pointed this out on Twitter. I, I wish I remember which handle it was. I could give them credit. But a Randy Dobnak comparison, because I keep harping on, listen, like you can't strike out five batters per nine innings in 2020 and have that be a sustainable yeah. strategy. Like you have to miss more bats. It's just not going to work long term. To this point, he has proven me wrong. I think at some point you're going to see regression, and he's going to settle in and not be garbage, but he won't be like a number one starter. And someone said, what about Mark Burley? Mark Burley was a lefty, and Randy Dobnak is a righty, but Mark Burley pitched 15 years <laughs> and gave you 200 to 240 innings every single year, 
was not a strikeout pitcher, career strikeout rate of, of five strikeouts per nine. Now, he retired after 2015, and I, I would say that baseball has changed a lot. Baseball has changed more from 2015 to 2020 than it did from 2000 to 2015, which is when Mark Burley's career spanned. But, you know, Mark Burley thrived off of quick pace, weak contact, and just getting into the seventh and eighth inning on a regular basis. Now, Dobnak gets into like the fifth or sixth inning, and then not as much because of pitch count. The team pulls him from the game so that he doesn't have to face the lineup for a third or fourth time. But like, could he be sort of the the, the modern quote unquote version or the Twins version of Mark Burley? I guess that's his path. He's not. He's certainly not going to be Justin Verlander. So I keep coming back back to. I probably need to see more, but I don't know how much more because he's been damn good and it, it's impressive. And I do. I if I'm going to criticize Brios's mental state and makeup. I do have to praise Dobnex. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Like it really, he he has things go go wrong, and he just sort of shrugs with that mustache and those Rex Becks, and he just goes back. And I love that. So l- let's play a game uh, post Dobnex starts called, and it's a scale one to ten. Is he Koufax or Keenum? <laughs> I say that we play a game and try because I still can't. I it still feels like Keenum circa two thousand seventeen, right? So I say that we all weigh in after every Dominic start now with the game. Is it Colfax or Keenum? So what is the? Are we trying to figure out if is he is he Sandy Colfax? I'll help you. He's not Colfax. Or right, right, right. But that's the scale. <laughs> or is he 2017 Case Keenum? He's okay. So he so one one to ten. Where do you stand right now? I know he's not Colfax, but that's 10. Keenum is 1. Where is Randy Dominic in the meter? So 10 being like Hall of Famer. Yeah, you're and, one of the great and pitchers. And 1 being like total fluke and, he's, yeah, and, never, and the carriage is going to into a Never going to be sustainable. Um, oh, man. I feel like the 1 to 10 skill should be like 1 Nick Blackburn, 10 Mark Burley. Yeah, but I got Colfax to Keenum. You get it? But what if it was alliteration? I think I'm getting thrown by the like the cross sport yeah. scale here. Okay, is he a complete fluke and it's a fun year? Actually, Blackburn <laughs> is a good he a one. Hall of Famer? Black, Blackburn's a good because Blackburn was Blackburn did this for like two years yeah. and then and then he signed a contract and then he was just the worst pitcher in baseball. Or you know what, Scott Diamond because Scott Diamond did it for one year. You guys are dumbing this down too much. No, no. It's I, I need more accurate. I need the same. I do you need the think same sport a, for the scale? Do you think it's sustainable or do you think it's a fluke? <laughs> Ten is sustainable. One is a fluke. I'm helping you craft the scale. So, but we've got the alliteration here, man. <laughs> this is radio. We're not looking. This isn't some newspaper project. Kofax or Keenum? All right, is it I see, from Kofax to Keenum? Okay, I see what you're doing there. Um, it's like a. I mean, it's like a four. It's a four. It's a four. Okay, Declan. Yeah, about a five. I, I like to say a six. I want to be a little higher. Six just is really positive. Just because he's been great. And I think there is something to say that he can be sustainable doing this because the Hold Twins on. have so power Phil arms says, in front of him. Phil says four. Declan I say says, six. Declan okay, I just six. want you guys to know, if, if, if it's anything more than like a four, if it's more like a six or a seven, it would basically mean that he's doing something that no other pitcher in baseball is doing. No, like, I'm with you on smoking, this. Like his smoke and mirrors. I'm coming in at a three. Oh, oh wow. Oh, yeah. No, oh, no. Wow. I, I No, no, no. I do. Your your explan your explanation, which I will not try and recraft because it made perfect sense, uh, is exactly right. So yeah, if I went, oh, it's a seven, I would be basically saying he is what three away from Sandy Colfax. Okay, sure. Okay. I say it's a three. It's a feel good. It looks good. 
Uh, but there have been plenty of times that we've all covered sports before, and we're like, this looks like it's for real, and then it turns out not to be. I'm saying a three, so okay. I'm going to come in one behind Phil. Okay. Uh, other things, breaking down baseball like it's football here. This is Rocco Baldelli, just a quick clip on him talking about the final out of yesterday's game. So anything that, that is said on the field um, on either side, you generally hear it pretty, pretty clearly. Probably could create a few more issues than normal. But all that being said, uh, I didn't see anything on our end that I would be concerned about one bit. So Sergio Romo uh, gets up there, and I did we find out why Tyler Duffy, who warmed up in the seventh, didn't just close that game out? I understand Rodgers against lefties in the in the eighth. Why I, why Romo over Duffy in the ninth? I don't think it was addressed. I do not know. I did not see that. Okay. Uh, it was weird though. Did they feel like because they got the insurance run that they didn't they didn't need him in a in a one run situation? No, because you'd pitch. Well, it might it might have been because Duffy pitched. He did pitch on Saturday, and Rogers did not. Right, so they were just giving give, so give it, Duffy a day. Okay, it might have been because of that, but yeah, it it was weird though because the Twins ordinarily think this stu- stuff out super thoroughly. I was surprised they got Duffy up at all. Then that was the one thing that threw me. Yeah, like I mean, if he hadn't got up, I wouldn't have you know. Right, why why off. get him up in the seventh and then not use him in the night? But that's neither here nor there. We are breaking down baseball like it's football, so it is worth bringing up. But uh, but Romo Romo gets Jorge Soler. And sometime during the at-bat, the Royals' dugout starts chirping about, or might have been the batter before. They chirped at some point about It was two before. Okay. L- Lopez's first strike, one called by the home plate umpire, had them chirping. And as they should have, because it was a to terrible To start call. the ninth. It was definitely... It John was Bacon. Never heard of John Bacon in my life was the home plate umpire. So we have John Bacon and Jerry Meals. God. But I think two Bacon... very appropriately named umpires. I think Bacon umpire. umpire names. is also in this crew of guys that replaced guys that opted out. Like, there's a lot of these replacements who get the plate, and you're like, oh, boy, this ain't going to be good. Yeah, that sounds like a made-up name. It sounds like a name from, like, King Griffey Jr. Baseball in the 90s. <laughs> John Bacon. John Bacon. Yeah. He's going to save his bacon. Um, so he, uh, the, so the Royals get mad. They start chirping. Romo gets the strikeout to end the inning, and yes. then Romo yells something to the effect of, keep talking, expletive. And then you could see, at least on the TV broadcast, the Royals were not. This is I wasn't going to rant about this, but since we're on the subject, do it. Fox Sports North, when the game is ending, and the Royals are up on the top step, not going into the clubhouse. The Royals are up on the top step, chirping at the Twins, and the Twins, Garver and Romo, are looking into the Royals dugout. Just give it like thirty seconds before going to commercial break, and then like come back and address it. They didn't address it for like the entire postgame show. Uh, so that kind of bothered me because we were waiting for people on Twitter and reporters and, you know, we were waiting for the post-game press conference to find out what happened. Did someone say something? Right. Was there a bench-clearing dispute of some kind? <laughs> the Royals wanted one, oh, no. I think. But what uh, what was sort of the – what happened? Did, did you guys get any explanation yeah. on the Zoom? Uh, yes. So so the Royals didn't like the home plate umpire's work, okay? And, and they started chirping at our guy Johnny Bacon after strike one on – Nicky Lopez to lead off the ninth. Uh, Romo then strikes out the side. And the funniest thing is, so Soler is the last out of the game. And Soler wheels around to Johnny Bacon and I think says, what? Now, the funniest thing is, if I'm not mistaken, right now, going into game four of this wraparound series, as we record this on Monday, Soler has 10 official plate appearances in this series. He has struck out nine times, okay? So really, the strike zone. You really. Um, so Solaire's chirping at the umpire. Romo, to your point, Phil, yells and and 
You can hear this on the Fox uh, Sports North telecast to end the game. Keep talking, keep talking. And then I think he threw in an MF or after that. Um, Which I love. And he's been doing that for 10 years. But you're going to love this. Okay. Okay. So here's the best part. So post game, the Royals basically acknowledge the problem is because there's no fans, everything can be heard, right? So if I raise my voice at all, uh, and Sergio, look, I mean, the guy celebrates, okay? Too bleeping bad. But here's what you're going to love. Evidently, the guy who got bent out of shape about this was really mad. It was not Solaire. It was the Royals bench coach. The Royals bench coach took umbrage who is the Royals to the fact coach? that they that they felt the Twins were celebrating too much or that, or that they felt the Twins were chirping. We're okay. chirping. You can hear everything. Okay, before I even look this guy up, all right, old white guy over 60. Um. I'm old, fi- white, old white baseball man over 60. I don't know that. I'm going to find his name again because I didn't recognize it when I saw it last uh, yesterday. But um, Mike Matheny, who okay, I'm manages wrong. It's, the it's, Royals. It's Pedro Grifol. No, I thought so, they said somebody sorry, else. I thought, they said a diff- I thought they said a different name. Hold I'll on just a give second. The, I'll here. give you the names here. Okay. Pedro Grifol. There's a Terry Bradshaw. Their kidding coach is Terry Bradshaw, which is amazing. Are you serious? Cal Eldridge, their pitching coach. Damon Hollins, first base coach. Vance Wilson, third base coach. Larry Carter is the bullpen coach. Vance Wilson. I'm sorry, not bench coach. Just coach Vance Wilson was fuming. So he's their third base coach. At the Twins twins over apparent taunting. So was he chirping from third base? Or did he go in the dugout after the game was over? So he must have heard it and gotten mad at third base. But the the tweet that I am uh, looking at here from a Royals... Writer says, after the game, the Royals and especially coach Vance Wilson were fuming at the Twins over apparent taunting. But it was, Ro- but, but it was Romo. It was Romo who was taunting because he doesn't shut up, which is who he is. This is, this is the type. I'm glad that this so type of rant. behavior is being called out, that this guy is an anonymous coach. Like, this is what we need to flush out of baseball. Just let these dudes have fun. Let them taunt each other a little bit. It's not that over the top. He's thumping his chest and he's chash talking. If you were to compare what Sergio Romo said or did at the end of that game to almost anything that happens after just a standard tackle in the NFL, and by the way, we're going to hear some of that stuff with no fans this year. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about how many times, you know, some guy breaks into the backfield, Harrison Smith or something, and breaks up a play, and all of the defensive players yelling and shouting and thumping their chest, like every play they're trash-talking each other, and then they just... I'd they pay to hear it. it. They line up. I'll and they pay. Go. I, I will pay extra to hear that. So let's not be sensitive here. But and anyway. by the way, Jorge Soler, like that dude hit 45 home runs or something last year. He has the ability to pimp a home run and thump his chest yes. and, and do what he needs to do. So that was that was ridiculous. And it'll be fun to watch tonight to see if there's any sort of lingering. But effect. isn't this the exact thing that, that baseball is trying to correct or should be trying to correct? Like if Romo came off the mound. And just started berating Solaire, and there was no reason for it. I would get being like, "What's wrong?" But Sergio Romo does nothing but talk. Like that's his life, and it's funny. And so, so for some guy named Vance Wilson, oh Vance Wilson, I'm real upset about that. Give me a parade. Yeah, you're the Royals, man. Like five, yeah, exactly. Five, five, you suck for the most part. And five years ago, let's just set the Good record point. straight here. I get that it's not the same coaching staff, and it's really Alex Gordon's the only actual guy left from like five or six years ago. But when the Royals were the best team in baseball, and they were winning a World Series and going to a World Series, that team trash talked and got under the skin of their opponents more than anyone in baseball. 
I mean, that team would create bench clearing brawl situations ten times a year yeah. with head hunting relievers and you know theatrical celebrations and stuff and chirping and it was fun. It was fun. So now that you guys are garbage and aren't going to go to the playoffs with you know half the league going. I think you just have to, if, if you're going to trash talk six years ago, you just have to sort of eat it when, when the Twins do it. Well, and nobody is in the stadium, okay? So, like, if, if I raise my voice, you can hear me. That's not my problem. It's a sport. It's baseball. It's, it's supposed to be fun, right? Like, you're supposed to be passionate. So, if I, if I say, bleep, yeah, and you're the opposing, oh, I don't like that. Yeah, just go to your You toilet. know what, then bleep you. <laughs> go take a shower. Exactly Actually, right. actually they're not allowed to take showers. I just got go another back one to your for hotel you. room. I want to hear you rant. Football. I want to set you up to rant, and I'm just going to say his name, and then you, and then you go. <laughs> I know where this is going. Miguel Sano. He's terrible. <laughs> I, the floor is yours. I just okay. Miguel Sano. Go. I'm going to counter you with a statistic. Another statistic. Just okay. where I like to originate some of my baseball opinions, because sometimes your eyes can lie to you, and things happen, and like guys go through slumps. And I don't think we should hold it against most players if they're going through a one-month slump where they're just like, you know, hitting pop-ups or not seeing the ball. Well, Miguel Sano's slump goes beyond just like not feeling his best in the first month. It goes beyond, I'm just not really seeing the ball that well. Miguel Sano, professional hitter in his prime, been in the league for six years, on fastballs, fastballs, Mm -hmm. just fastballs. Mm Mm-hmm is only making contact on just over half of them this season. Yikes. 58% heading into yesterday's game. I'll say that again. When Miguel Sano gets thrown a fastball and swings, he only makes contact on just over half of them so far in 2020. And then what happens is, because he knows that his swing is basically a Mack truck trying to go from 0 to 60, like, all right, it's like you're going up a hill every time you fire this thing up. He has to start his swing when the pitcher is like getting the sign, basically. And so then if the pitcher throws a breaking ball off the plate, he's already loaded up the Mack truck semi-swing, and he can't check it in time. Or he's checking his swing on balls that are bouncing in the dirt on these breaking balls. And so, like, I don't know what you're supposed to do with a guy that, at best, at best, is going to hit you home runs. Like, that's his main quality. Yep. But like he is unplayably bad right now yep. at the plate, and they've got like they've got a couple options. You could pretty easily go to Marwin Gonzalez, and now Marwin Gonzalez, but he's playing third base really damn well. I think I know, I'm, I'm saying like long term. I'm thinking like oh, long term okay. here. If you right. just decided like this is Miguel Sano is just like for whatever reason he's just like not in shape enough to hit fastballs or make contact with fastballs. When Donaldson comes back, but the scary thing Marwin is Gonzalez that's could be not true. Baseman. He is in shape to do it. He just can't do it. Well, but why was but why was he able to why was he able to hit almost three hundred five years ago, and tee off on fastballs, like and, and the and the statistical evidence is there like he his like his inability to hit fastballs okay, let, is a let's new break that phenomenon. Down. Let's break this down. Is there a different football? Is there an approach to him, subtly adjustment wise in in pitch sequencing that makes more sense now? For teams to get because the yeah, one, throw him a fastball. because the one thing I will say about this guy, the one thing that I do think is a problem is in the old sports cliches of you know you come in and do this, you get adjusted to. Now it's up to you to adjust, and it goes back and forth and back and forth. Miguel does not strike me as the great adjustment king. Well, 
there's a, it. There comes a point where if you can't hit a fastball, there's no adjustment to be like it's checkmate. It's checkmate. But the, it, that that the loss that they took right. on Saturday, okay, Rocco Baldelli. By and large, big picture is a really good manager, and I think he gets the most out of most of his players. But and I should have tweeted this. I should have tweeted this before the at bat. I wound up sending it after the at bat just because I wasn't like in a position. But I should have sent it before sure the at bat. Yeah. Okay. Right. Oh, I. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. They had a reliever throwing ninety nine miles an hour, ninety eight, ninety nine miles an hour. Right. The long haired guy. I can't remember his name. And it's a close game, and I think the Twins had a runner or two on base, and this is like their chance to score in the seventh inning or whatever it was. And this dude's throwing between 97 and 99 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And Miguel Sano comes strolling up to the plate. Mm-hmm. Zero chance. Zero chance. You are waving the white flag on the rally by sending Miguel Sano up to the plate right now against a pitcher that throws 97 miles an hour. His only hope, do you guys ever go to those batting cages when you're a kid or even like when you're an adult <laughs> and you can ramp those things up to like 80 or 90 or 100 miles an hour? No. Yeah. And if you get no. it to a certain point, and for most of us, it's like if you get it to 70 yes. <laughs> or 80, you have to basically start your swing before the ball is being thrown. So you have to start your swing as the ball is coming out of like the machine's hand. Yeah. Because if you wait for it to come out of the hand, the normal person just doesn't have a quick enough swing. That's Miguel Sano against major league pitchers right now. He has to start his swing as the pitcher is like like cocking the ball back for him to catch up to 95, 97 miles an hour. Yep. And I just don't know. I guess you keep running him out there because you're winning games. And that's what and they're trying to do like right now. You have now. to get him going at some point, he, but my God. His at-bats now to me are to the point of every once in a while you'll see him get a pitch that he does like, um, but for the most part he hopes to walk, which was my approach in Little League. He hopes to get a walk. Well, like he doesn't like he. And that's good. He's like, going to take a close pitch. He should try to walk. But I mean, that's what Stop his hope. Swinging at fastball, right? right but his hope is to. It's it is um, the strikeouts now, and I know he strikes out a ton, uh, so it's not breaking news. The strikeouts now with Miguel Sano to me are alarming, though. Like there's nothing else there for the, the most but part. Here's the thing, Judd. They've this is the crazy thing. Okay, coming into this season, I'll try to find this too. I'm full of stats today. All right, coming into this season. He had one of the worst, like one of the three or four worst strikeout rates in the history of baseball what, coming into the but, season. But that's my, and it's worse in the first month this year. That's my point. But it was alarming before okay. this year. But what and I'm telling I, so you, what's the word above alarming? That's the question. Like ju- ju- Judd after back-to-back Vikings losses on a Monday. What, what, what's that word? But I'm just so I'm telling you that I'm taking a statistic that already was off the charts terrible. But I was saying, okay, the home runs do come, and now I'm saying. You can't even do this. Okay, how about this move? If Keys continues, and you know, keep, uh, keep in mind, baseball is football. We're talking about a 60-game season here that's going to go into a playoff. So we're not talking about, hey, it's May, just calm down, which is what the Twitter would be fil- filled with that when it comes to Sano from some people if it were May. Uh, th- those people now are choosing to be quiet, and I guess I don't blame them. Do At what point in time do you maybe call Rooker up from St. Paul because he is down 94, nothing more, yep. and give him a shot at first base. And I don't know what you do with Snow behind the scenes to try and get him right, but you have just decided by this point we can't continue to try to get him right in such a short season. I give Snow another week for sure because you're winning, like you're in no danger of. If, if you were like below 500 right now and off to a bad start and we're kind of desperate, I would consider doing it right now. Or at least have Rooker up, and I don't know who else you would 
you know, send off the roster, but yeah, be maybe right. you'd find a fake injury or something for Miguel Sano and put him on the injured list for 10 days. Like, that's one option. Mm-hmm. But this is the crazy thing. Like, even at his best, and I get the people are going to point to like, oh, he hit 34 home runs last year in 105 games. He's a big power guy. That that skill set has never been less valuable in the history of baseball. Guys who hit 20 to 30 home runs are right. everywhere in baseball. Yeah. Literally everywhere. I mean, there are there are random guys that you've never heard of that are hitting 25 or 30 home runs because the baseball was juiced and like guys are just like up to speed on exit velocity, no pun intended. So for Sano, if he's if his one redeeming quality as an offensive player is home runs, even that is a borderline reason to keep running him out there if he's not giving you something defensively or something you know average or hitting doubles or something, right? Um, somebody DM'd me yesterday and said, this is a lineup nitpick, but why would you continue to put Miguel Sano in the spot in front of Byron Buxton? Like, why would you put a semi-truck in front of a Ferrari? Yeah. Well, it's not a big deal yet because Miguel Sano never gets on base, so he's never he's never blocking Byron Buxton from running around the bases. But two years ago, remember, in 2018, Miguel Sano played in 71 games just two years ago and hit 199 with a 281 on base percentage and 13 home runs. So... Like, at if if at his peak he's a two fifty hitter who can hit thirty home runs and plays just like a questionable defense at first base and doesn't run the bases well, he's a borderline major leaguer even at his best. So, I don't know. I I would consider bringing Brett Rooker up after this week if this continues and just see because it looked it looked going into spring training like Brett Rooker was probably your most major league ready guy in the top ten prospects. Just a guy that you could probably maybe call up in May or something if he got off to a hot start at AAA. It might be so. worth a shot at some point soon. Yeah. So, anything yeah. else from you guys? Football. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this this is going to be the most disappointing topic I'm going to bring up from uh, the Twins Royal Series, but only because we're not going to disagree. God bless the idea of the seven-inning doubleheader. Oh, yes. But I would love to argue with you. I would love to tell you, I hated this. It's an affront to baseball. How could they do this to my game? And you'd come back with, what are you talking about, you old codger, blah, blah. I can't argue with you. Rami chirped me for I saw it, and I was going to get back in, and I'm like, I'm not even going to deal with it because I went to both games. I'm in love. Like I'm smitten. It's great. I'm smitten. It's great. I want to go to prom with this. It's great. So, so we all agree here. So yes. it's going to be kind of a short segment. But the best part about it is you could probably get away with doing this as as kind of a promotional gimmick. You could do. I, I think you should. I think you should do this once a week going forward, regardless of COVID. Sundays. This should be built. I would say Saturdays because it gives you time if you schedule them on it's, Saturdays. It started at rain. noon. It was straight through. Half hour break between games. Everything yep. about it. And people are saying, like, well, what would you do? Like, how would you convince the owners? Because they would be losing an extra. If you did a straight doubleheader, seven innings, seven innings, and you would be losing, you know, X amount of home game. You'd be losing, like, 13 home games. I say, well, you could either take 13 home game prices and then build those into, like, an increased percentage of all of the tickets across the board. Or you could just charge a little bit more for those Saturday games because people are going to get two games in like six and a half, seven hours of baseball. Right. Or something like that. 
but it's great. It's and and it it just makes the game a little bit more intense too. Because by the time you get to the third or fourth inning, like you can start to feel that's what the Rocco end of talked the game about coming up. Rocco talked about you, you have to make late game decisions way earlier in these yeah. things. It's great. At some point, here's a tease for later in the week on this show. Fangraphs wrote a great article, and one of our listeners sent this over the weekend explaining why games take so long in 2020 compared to like 30 or 40 years ago. And we've talked about, you know, there's more pitches being thrown, but there's a couple other things that they have investigated that really actually make a case for seven inning games going forward, which I don't think there's any way that's going to happen because traditionalists and people are going to get all, but really if you just, if you put seven inning games in front of people and just force fed it to them for a year or two, I think the people that have always watched baseball would still watch baseball. And I think because you'd now be controlling the time of game to be like two hours and 20 minutes, two hours, 30 minutes max. Yep. You'd probably get more fans coming in because, hey, I don't have to commit four hours of my life to a Yankees Red Sox game. I think young people would love this. I think they absolutely would. And here's here's the great part, too. If you do this right and guys like Rami are going to want to rip my head off for saying this. If you do go to extras, right, in the eighth, you put a guy in second. Like, this is the young the young fan special. This is urgency, baby. Let's, yes, exactly let's right. Go. Let's create, let's create an expectation of urgency. Yeah. I, it, it's okay. look, look, as a longstanding baseball fan, does it rub that part of me wrong? Probably. But as a person who realizes to keep this game as healthy as possible and alive and vibrant with a very important group of people, which is young people. Does this make sense? Yes. I am not that old relative to the average baseball fan. I think the average baseball yeah, get, fan is like up, 55 or 60. You're getting up there, though. So you're in the demographic. You're getting there. I'm 35. So I am, I am in the NBA demographic. And I have loved baseball my whole life. It's been my favorite sport. And even I will tell you, nine inning games in 2020, like it's not the same as it was 20 years ago. When you're watching a Cubs game on WGN, the TV window was slotted starting at 120, and it was done by four o'clock, and they very rarely leaked over. And then they would get you into your Saved by the Bell reruns. And the games just have an extra 30 minutes on them. Yep. That even as a diehard baseball fan, I'm just, I'm just it's kind of drags. It, it kind of drags. So I'm creating you. more urgency earlier in the evening so that you can start to sense the end after like an hour, hour and a half. Like, oh, okay, this is interesting. When you get 30 minutes into a soccer game, oh, okay, all right. So it's almost halftime. And then I know that second half is only 45 minutes. And so, yeah, I can commit to this. I got an hour and a half. I'll be good. Um, there's all kinds of other stuff we could probably get into. Football. Judd had an elevator experience oh, at Target Field yesterday that – as you said in your email, confused and then liberated you? Liberated me completely. Okay. So have, have you guys have ever had an experience where at first you're offended is too strong a word, but you're sort of put off by the actions of people? Yes. And then you're like, oh, hold on a second. This falls into exactly what I believe in in life. So to leave the press box at Target Field, you now have to fill go um, through the pucket atrium you go towards uh, Bat and Barrel, which I still don't approve of, and, and you take the elevators down that are right by Bat and Barrel to the main ground, okay? That's actually how I've always left the price. Okay, price. so, oh. so yeah. th- that's their path now to leave. So yesterday I went through that path, and I you know pushed the button. It came, and a group of three people who I think might have been scoreboard operator people, I'm not sure, 
they were right behind me. And so, like, they walked. All of you wearing masks? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. So as I get there, I'm about to push the button to go down, and I'm like, do you guys want to jump in? And, Phil, to your point, all wearing masks, and and it's a big car going down, so it's not like we'd be uh, close together. And they're all like, oh, we'll wait. I'm like, okay, sort of odd at first. And then I push the button, and I go down. And I realized that they trusted each other, but not me for sure. So, like, I got a mask on, but they don't trust me. But the liberating part of the story is this. Do you remember the discussions that that we've had through the years about holding doors or being polite or waiting on people and never knowing the exact timing of should I wait here or is it to... Yeah, people err on the side of trying to be polite when really I just just keep walking. The liberating part about this story, that's all done. That's all done. I am doing you a favor by closing that door Dude, on your point. face. And and they, they were very, they were trying not to be totally rude, but they really didn't care. Yeah. And so at first uh, I was like, well, that was weird. And then I'm like, no, this is 2020. I'm starting to call them P squared, positives of the pandemic, <laughs> P squared. And this is a positive of the pandemic. It has ended the the rules of, you know, I should really hold this door or I should really do this or I should. No, human interaction now, if they don't know you, a violation of the very standards by which they live now. I had, I, Liberating, I'm glad Phil. you brought this up. So you guys, do you guys go in the back entrance usually of our building here? Did you go in the front? Like, well, I yeah, mean, I mean both. The, there's the back entrance and there's like the main security and then there's like the side door by back us. entrance. Both. Yeah. Side door by us, yeah. So I, I use that. that side door all the time by the garbage dumpsters. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes uh, there will be somebody like throughout. I'm saying like I've, I've used that door for probably like six years now for the most part. And oftentimes there's like people walking around or other people coming in the building. And then if, if you use your card key to open the door, um, they might come in. And then there's the, the, the door on the, the next door on the inside. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this. It's just you have to open it. Yeah. And so if someone's coming behind me, ordinarily I will, like, hold that door open for them to walk through, or I will just, like, like swing it open, give it yep. the push for them to walk through. Yep. And last week, because lately there haven't been that many people, like, walking around, so I usually just come in that side door and no one's around me. But last week a woman was walking probably, I don't know, 20 yards behind me. Like, she was very much within range but keeping her distance. And so I use my car key for the first door. It opens up, and it stays open for like 30 seconds. So she walks in, too. And now I'm thinking to myself, what do I do with this next door? Oh, boy. The polite thing to do would be open it normally, right? Open it for her or, like, give the the bump to the door. But then I'm thinking, if I do that, now we're going to be, like, within five or six feet of each other, and it's COVID. Mm Mm-hmm. So I just let the door shut behind me mm-hmm. and then went up the steps and I heard the door open five seconds later or less and she comes walking up and then we get to the next door, which oh is the gosh. same thing. And so, again, I open it up. I don't even do the push, nothing. I just let the door shut. It shuts. She immediately grabs it, opens it up. And I'm, now I'm trying to speed away so I don't have to like this engage a, in the interaction. This is a Curb Your Enthusiasm Minnesota Is edition. that the right thing to do? Yes, yes, you're doing the right thing now. In fact, in, in fact, I'm sure she approves because she wants nothing to do with you and you want nothing to do with her and that's the point about the pandemic. It, it It's it's an out. It's an out on kindness. Acts of kindness now 
are acts of hostility. See, this is what I loved. And, and at first I was confused because the old Judd brain was like, that doesn't seem very nice that they wouldn't ride uh, down to the main floor with me. And then I thought, no, I'm a walking pandemic to them. I might as well be like um, a sea monster. I will hold the door. The only problem I have, and I notice I, I go on walks all the way around when I, where, I, where I live at in, in downtown Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. I can't stand when it's like a group of more than one, so two to three people on a sidewalk, and because of COVID, they just don't think they can just single file, so then they just take up the whole sidewalk, and it's like, no, 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 no. Please, like, get in a single file line. There's two-way traffic coming here. Mm. Like, so, like usually there's a, there's a good amount of spots, like around River Parkway, where you can space out. You can walk in the road. You can walk in the grass even. But if there's some, like, bridges that are literally narrow. Like, you could only fit two to two people max shoulder to shoulder in normal circumstances. So if that's the case, please move to the side because I don't want to have to do this to the side and breathing in your air while I'm walking next to and you. And then, of course, it's possible that some of them just think it's all a joke anyways Correct. and are looking to intimidate yeah, you. Yeah, I can't help you on that one. I'm just, I'm just saying as far as, as you, Declan Goff, acts of kindness are done. Don't do them. I, I'll still probably don't do them. No, no, I will. Chivalry is threatening now. Yes, even if you're on a date, I don't even think you hold the door for your date. I'm stay away from me. I'm going to get COVID until our fourth date. I, as I told, I'll Roy, hold the date for you on the it, fourth date. If I'm, hold the door if for I'm you. getting COVID, it's not going to be de- through holding doors. It depends what virus we're talking about. What is what I will? What, and what <laughs> right, spot but, do I cross the line? But we're in a pandemic right now, right? And that brings us to our most important Vikings thing of the day here. Now the training camp TCO performance started. Our most important Vikings thing of the day, or a segment we could call press coverage, football. Oh, I like that. Press cover. That's cute. Yeah. Good get job. All kinds of different. That was on the fly. Yeah, but press coverage is perfect. Yeah. Uh, here's the most important Vikings thing of the day here. Pat Elfline is a right guard. We sort of speculated on this because Gary Kubiak, a week and a half ago, when he was going over what the offensive line looks like, and he basically said, yeah, we're, we're bringing four of the previous starters back. Riley Reeve and Brian O'Neill are going to be the tackles, and Bradbury going into his second year, and, and Pat Elfline at guard. Mm-hmm. And Pat Elfline has been a left guard. and um, But he was a right guard in college, it turns out. He was a center. At Ohio State. So So they have moved Pat Elfline to right guard in the first full practice. Dakota Dozier and Aviant Collins rotating in at left guard, which I think clears the path for what we kind of talked about 10 days ago in our speculation, that Ezra Cleveland, who is a left side of the offensive line guy, left tackle, but he won't be playing that right now, that he might have a path clear to whether it's week one or at some point start at left guard. So offensive line gate has been solved. We know why, where Pat Elfline is. Why when uh, Coops did that conference call now, I think two weeks back or so, why didn't he just tell the folks on that call, we've moved Elfline to right guard? Like You just could have cleared it up. There, there's no competitive advantage here to to the Packers being like, oh, my God, he moved to right yeah, guard? You're kidding? And why, and why would like, you, just why, tell why, the media, look, weird. here's what be, – because the, the confusion about Cleveland possibly going to backup right guard just made no sense. Like, it sounded dumb. Um, and so so what the people who uh, covered the practice on Friday saw makes perfect sense. But I'm just a little bit confused. And Elfline at right guard is a good last shot, right? Like, clear the left side out for the big guys. And if Elfline's going to work at right guard, that's great. And if he's not, find out. 
Um, but this is this at least continuity wise, I think, makes the most sense of if you were to sit down and sort of script this and say, what should we do with Elfline here to give him one final shot? I get this one. It also gives you now with Pat Elfline at the very least, let's say he's no longer a starter in a few weeks. Well, there is value in him being that swing guy. He's 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 your man off the bench, and he can play Absolutely. any of the three interior positions. Yep. He kind of becomes, not that this is a great thing, but Ryan Cook was kind of that for the Vikings for a couple of years. He wasn't very good, but now there is Pat Elfline. Injuries have sort of derailed his career. Did you but, just invoke the name of Ryan Cook? I mean, that's what Ryan Cook was. I haven't thought of Ryan Cook in so long. Yeah. He played all... He was pretty I, tall, though. Too tall think, to play center. Remember he, that? I think he played all five offensive line positions. That's or at least amazing. practiced at all five. None of them well. So it didn't, it didn't go well for but him. But anyway, this does make sense. So that is your most important Vikings thing of the day. And remember, you can find our daily Vikings conversations as part of the Purple Daily Podcast, Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com, and our YouTube channel. We are almost to 9,000 subscribers on the Purple Daily content on uh, Scornorth YouTube, youtube.com slash scorenorth. And um, we're pumping out five-day-a-week stuff, sometimes even more than that. So check us out. But, Declan, uh, this is the, the time of week every Monday where you try to stump us in a segment we call Random Season Recall. That's right. On Mackie and Judd, where Declan pulls random Minnesota sports seasons from the past and quizzes us on the intricate details of them. What do we got this week? Oh, Phil, we're going to need you here. Oh, my God. We need you. Oh, my a- actually, God. you've got a you got a good chance here, Mackie. We're going to go with the 2007. Oh, I don't know, dude. 2008. <laughs> don't look at me. Minnesota Timberwolves. I, I carried us on that last wild one. You carry us on this one, baby. The first year of the post-Kevin Garnett era. Oh, okay, that's and, a good hint. And actually, <laughs> we'll just start with this question then. Holy crap. It was technically my last question, but we'll start with this first one. Can you name... All the players who Minnesota received oh. <laughs> in the Kevin Garnett trade that happened about a month before the season, a couple months before the season. All right. Um, wow. There well, is. I can tell you that it wasn't Rajon Rondo, which, what's the point of trading Kevin Garnett for young Boston players if you're not going to get Ryan, Rajon Rondo? Ryan but, Hollins was in that, right, Phil Mackey? I don't think so. Was he not? Hold on. Yeah, yeah, no, no. This is a conversation among <laughs> friends, Declan. Don't okay. be pulling it. I, don't ask, be... Was, I don't think Ryan Hollins was. Was Ryan Hollins in that trade? I don't think he was. He was not. Okay. Okay. Ryan Gomes was. Oh, that's what I'm Sebastian Telfair was. Um, Al Jefferson was. Al Jefferson was the key piece to it, right? Yeah. And I believe Marcus Banks was in that trade. Hmm. You're doing really well up He's until then. Missing two, two uh, players. Uh, one, one of them was a contract. One, oh man, I think Mark Blount might have been in that trade. God dang it! This okay, is, this is just between me and Judd. There okay. was a, there was yeah, a contract quit, in that trade. Quit with that stupid buzzer. It was maybe it was was it? Oh, yeah. was it Antoine Walker, or was it Theo Ratliff? Oh, there was just a dead contract in there. Well, actually, Antoine Walker like actually played at one point. I know he played for the Timberwolves, but I can't remember if he came over in that trade or if he was a contract help, from somewhere else. I can't else. help you on this. So you, how'd they get Marcus Banks? Fire away. So we're missing two. Um, God dang it. Um, I I I don't know why I I, I think it was. I'm going to say Theo Ratliff was one of them. Yes. There you go. One, that was one more. And actually, I think this guy's still playing and, and was a, it's still a very solid role player. 
But he was included in this trade. <sighs> Gomes, Telfair, Jefferson, Theo. He's a solid role player. Mm, I think he's. I believe he's still playing. <laughs> Story of the Timberwolves history. Wait, breaking he, news. The, the Wolves got a solid role player in that trade? He wasn't used appropriately <laughs> here. After leaving Minnesota, he, he, he bounced around a little bit. Wow. And I didn't name him in the... Uh... You didn't? Okay. You did not. Is he a big or a small? Small. Small forward shooting guard. Who would that have been? Oh, my God. He bounced around a lot, but... Conference now? Can you give a... Can you... Uh... Provide a clue? Uh, he played for the... He did not play this last season, but he last played for the Houston Rockets. What? Shooting guard. Uh, this is going to bug me. I don't know. Gerald Green. Oh! I know. That's right. He blew, the, Green. he blew the candle out on the... He was actually supposed to be kind of the wild card of this trade. Yeah. Where if he panned out... <laughs> uh, he still did pretty well, though. And, How uh, did I get Theo Ratliff back? I Gerald know, Green. I know. I know. And then two first-round picks. Any, any guesses who those first-round picks turned out to be for the Wolves? <laughs> Bust. <Any guesses? laughs> yeah, well, we Bust don't know who one, they were. We can tell you they were terrible. Yeah, not going to work here anymore. Um, well, they would have been. They would have been later first-round picks because the Celtics won the championship. One of them was yes, and I think they're the one they initially got. I could not tell you. Okay. Well, uh, was Wayne Ellington one of them? Oh, oh out of the way! Who was the other? <laughs> Way, way to go! You got it. You're, um, you should be able to get it. <laughs> you just got Wayne Ellington. Uh, if you got, if you got that one, you have to get some props. Well, no, I'm, like, I'm, I'm trying. Like I know that the like who the wolves. I, the wolves drafted Derek Williams, and the right. wolves drafted um, what's his name from Syracuse who shot threes. Johnny Flynn. Well, the, and they drafted another guy from Syracuse that kind of shot threes. Was it Ricky Rubio? Very close. Johnny Flynn. Johnny Flynn. Johnny Flynn. Semantics. So Judd got it. Wow. Judd said Johnny Flynn. I did say Johnny Flynn, but I didn't guess Johnny Flynn. So take take that for what it's worth. All right. Holy, this is a this is a dark episode of Random Season. (laughs) Yeah, this is. Oh my god, dude. This is the horror episode of it. Uh, How many wins did those Timberwolves finish with in 2007, 2008? If you're within five, okay, within five, we can get within five. That was a terrible basketball team. Um. 0708. So they were they were coming off of in the previous two seasons they were coming off like th- around 30 wins in KG's last. I think they went 32 and 50 in one of those years and they and so even like KG and nobody else they were like 30 and 50. And then this team took an even further nosedive. <laughs> I don't think they won 20 games. So like 18, you think? 17 is the number that popped into my head. Okay. Well, I mean within 5, right? Let's go 17. Okay. Well, that's within 5, yeah. <laughs> 22 and 60. Oh, they did get 22 wow. wins. 22 wins. Oh not bad. God. Well, how about this one? This is a good this is a good segue. Through their first There's nothing good about this season. 30 games. 30 games. How many wins do the Wolves have? So they won 22 total. I'm trying to think of like the circumstances here. So their their coach would have been they fired Dwayne Casey and then they so Kurt Rambis was the coach, right? Cuz if they they fired Dwayne Casey, and then Kevin McHale took over. Yeah, and finished and out. And then all of the like, then they all got fired. I'm well, trying to think of if this was David Kahn or, or Kevin McHale. No, Kevin McHale drafted Kevin Love. So Kevin McHale was the architect of this team, and Randy Whitman would have been the coach, right? I think Randy. That's correct. Is Randy Whitman the coach? Yes, that's oh actually one of my God. questions. Got that. Good job, Whit. So Randy Whitman was the coach. What was your question here again? How many wins did they have in the first? How many? Thirty games. 
Okay, so they won 22 for the season. It had to have been a train wreck, right? If you were within three for this one, I'll, I'll give you. Okay, so they won 22, so they probably won some games late in the season. But why would they win games late? This team, this team was dead. I think he's probably getting at they were maybe competitive early in the year. Let's say they were competitive. I guess Al Jefferson was pretty good. 13? I, I mean, 22, you had to win some in. 13 and 17? All right. 13 and 17. Any others? You want to guess or no? No. They were atrociously bad. They were 4 and 26. I told you. 4 I told and 26. You. I was actually going to guess 5 and 25 until oh. it was reverse psychology. Come on. I told So they finished strong, kind they, of. They kind of did. Kind they, of? They, won well, like, they probably played teams that, that also didn't care at all. They, so. they yeah. won like 7 out of 10 in mid-February, of course, and then they had like three different seven-game losing streaks. So there is nothing not like a game four be- and between NBA um, just train wrecks in March, right? Ugh. That's bad. Bottom and feeders are sure fun to watch. The NBA can fix. They've already stumbled upon one of the formulas here of just like allowing more teams to be included in the battle for the eight seed. But I think they should go with the Mackie and Judd idea of having a lottery tournament with the worst teams in the NBA having to win your way to the top of the draft. I like that. In a bubble. I got one more. Stick them in a bubble. All right. Four players on that team finished with double digit points per season. Or in the season, who were they? Who were those four players that finished with double digit points? Points per game. Points per game. Jefferson had to. Yeah. Al Jefferson. Sure. Um well who else was on the team here? That's the question. <laughs> like who are the other hey, guys? I gave on you team? Al Jefferson, okay. Like Randy Foy was on the team by that point. I think Ricky Davis was probably gone, but I don't remember. Oh my god. Ricky Davis. Because we're just we're just dealing in like the guys they got back in the KG trade, but they also had other guys on the team. Yep. Uh I think like Rashad McCants was probably on the team and terrible. Foy. Ricky was Ricky Davis still on the team? How long was Ricky Davis on the team? A couple of years? It wasn't it was that for long. For sure a couple of years. Yeah. Who but they had to have had it was <laughs> this is so bad. You know who else was on the team? I think it's Marco Yarich. Hey, I think Marco Yarich was on this team. All right, um, yeah, three more. Randy Foy. <laughs> two more. Okay, so that's two. This is the greatest accomplishment in the history of this segment. If we get all four of these, by the way, this is the this is like the most obscure Timberwolves team in the history of the franchise. Did Ryan Gomes? Did Ryan Gomes get ten a game? I don't think he did. I'm gonna defer to you here. So I don't think he. <laughs> so if you say so it's it, just like you're on your own. So yeah. if you say it, I'm gonna go along with it. I'm not gonna debate it. Um, Although I told you they got off to a terrible start. Didn't listen. Oh, my God. Um, all right. Rashad McCants. Yeah! Oh! oh within one, one baby. Within one. No pressure. No one pressure. More. I went to all these games, by the way. God. Well, then give us the fourth one. I'm going to be I don't great. remember. Uh, Rashad McCants. You were drinking those mixed drinks in uh, Target yeah. Center. Rashad McCants, Randy Foy, Al Jefferson. Did they have another big? No, they had Love and Jefferson, but that was, this is before they drafted Kevin Love. They didn't get Kevin Love for like two more years. It's not Telfair. He didn't score enough points. I don't think Ryan Gomes played enough minutes, and I don't know if Ricky Davis was on the team. And would they have three backcourt guys scoring 10-plus points? Probably not. It's probably someone I haven't mentioned yet. I'll go Ryan Gomes. Yeah! yeah! The 
greatest accomplishment in random season recall yet, just provided by oh, Phil Mackey. Yeah. And that is random season recall. I'm Mackey and Judd. Can't stump us. 12.6 points a game for Ryan Gomes. <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh, my God. You got all four of them without a buzzer. Can you read the roster just for fun? <laughs> sure. All right, from leading scorers on, Al Jefferson, Rashad McCants, Randy Foy, Ryan Gomes, Craig Smith. Craig Smith was was sneaky. Uh, I was going to say sneaky good. That's probably not true. Sebastian Telfair, Kirk Snyder, Ugh, no. Mar- Marco Yarick. I knew he was on the team. Yep. Antoine Walker. Oh, Antoine Walker. Theo Ratliff. Young Corey Brewer. That's right. Gerald Green. Greg Buckner. Yeah. Michael, Michael Dolick. Michael Doliak. Michael Doliak. Doliak. Utah, right? Chris Richard. Yeah. And then, of course, Chris Richard. Mark Matson. I believe Chris Richard and How Randy. How long was Mark Matson here? Forever, clearly. Yeah, he got here in like, I mean, he was on the, the team, I think, that went to the Western Conference Finals. He was. So he was here when, for quite some time. When was the three-point shooting game at Target Center against Memphis, I think, when they just told him to keep shooting so they'd lose? That was the end of the previous season, I think. Okay. Oh, my God. One of the great Cause, games. Cause that was One of my favorite Wolves games of all time, by KG the way. KG had set out for five or six games. Oh, that's the— Glenn Taylor. Oh, okay. Glenn Taylor made mention about KG tanking it. Yes. And that's that's what started. That was that was chapter one of the fallout. Yeah. Wow. And Chris Richard and Corey Brewer both, I think, played at Florida together on those national championship teams. Right. Yep. Billy Donovan. That Thank was you. the greatest oh, thank you. yet to date, the thank greatest you. random season recall poll <laughs> was that four players. I, and I regret how many Timberwolves games I did attend. I was one of like, it was like me, Sid Hartman, and I don't know, the beat writers. There were only 25th out of 30 teams in attendance that year. Were they really? They were. There was five teams worse than that. I'm shocked they were last. They still had enough of a season ticket base from people that had watched KG the previous year, and they just forgot to cancel that. That's probably what happened. <laughs> he got the, traded late too. KG, like it was like late August. He it was. Traded. It was during Vikings training camp. Yeah. I remember yep. it well. Yep. All right. Wow. Well, that that escalated quickly. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. I'm Mackie and Judd today. And a quick shout out to if you are a business owner and looking to get your message out, you can hit us up. We have some openings on our show. Um, and on Purple Daily for advertisers as advertising money starts to come back in for businesses. And we'd love to uh, to help you spread the word about your business. So you can send an email. Just send an email to me, and I'll connect you to the right people. It's just pmackey at scorenorth.com, and we'll see you tomorrow.